You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Father, I thank you for this evening, your divine appointments and uh, rendezvous, and we thank you for the quickening of your spirit. We thank you, God, that you are faithful. Thank you for this night. We thank you for your word, that it is anointed, uh, that it goes about your purposes and it will accomplish them and it will not return void. I pray, Father, that your spirit would quicken the word, that it would be ignited in our spirits, Father, that our spirits would spark with your life. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity. We ask that you bless this time, that Father would be um, anointed by you, Father, that these words would not uh, be vain but that, Father, they would accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I want to talk to you tonight tonight about spiritual reconnaissance. Um, My grandfather, uh, he didn't own a TV until after my mom was married to my dad. And my dad would go up there for Thanksgiving, and they'd have the meal, and as soon as the meal was over, my dad hooked at home, and so obviously my, my mom went with him. And um, dad wanted to get home to watch football games. So my grandfather went out and bought a TV so that his daughter could stay through Thanksgiving. Um, but he wasn't a big TV watcher. The, the one thing I remember him watching was the weather. That was his thing. He was a farmer. He would sit down every night at 6 o'clock, and he'd have that TV on, and he would find out what's coming. Um, and so he wanted to know what was coming. And I think in a lot of ways, we miss out on the opportunity to see what's coming, spiritually speaking. Um, let me read you some scriptures. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, and then we're going to go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 is probably where we'll spend a majority of our time. We'll go here and there a little bit, but... Um, I want to intro with this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quiet you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. The NIV says, Be on your guard and stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. And then I think the Living Bible has an interesting um, take on it. This is keep your eyes open for spiritual danger. Stand true to the Lord. Act like men. Be strong. And whatever you do, do it with kindness and love. One of my challenges for me is to be strong, to be courageous, and yet act in love. A lot of times I get aggressive, but it's not in love. <laughs> you know, you kind of let those emotions go to the extreme sometimes. And um, so the challenge is to watch for danger, to be on guard, and yet still operate in that love, recognizing that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Whatever opposition is coming is a spiritual opposition. Now, it may manifest through some people, (laughs) you know, uh, that takes flesh on, uh, but our real enemy is in the spirit. And so the challenge there is to recognize that spiritual warfare and... From what I'm reading in the scripture, it is in prayer that you 
get that spiritual vision, that spiritual reconnaissance, that that awareness of of what is coming or what's around. You know, we we look at radar as invisible, and yet it goes out and comes back. And if it's processed correctly, it shows you what's coming. It can show you a tornado. It can show you a cold front. It can show you rain, hail, you know, lots of different things. The Spirit is the same way. He wants to show us things that are coming, yet a lot of times that signal comes back and we're on a different channel. <laughs> we're on the wrong frequency. Uh, we don't get the amber alert that comes through, spiritually speaking. And I think it's important that we recognize the value of prayer. Just tuning ourselves. You remember the old radios that you used to have to dial in? The radio station, it didn't just hit a button and it was there. Um, you had to dial it in. And I think sometimes we think we can just hit a button and all of a sudden we're tuned in. When I really think a lot of times it takes us some time in prayer just to get our spirit antenna facing the right way on the right frequency to pick up what God's saying to us. Um, because there are lots of signals out there in the spirit. They're not all from God. And so we want to make sure that we're tuned into the right frequency. In Matthew chapter 26, um, it's talking about Jesus and when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, obviously, Jesus was the Son of God. He was fully man, fully God. He was anointed by the Spirit. He had no imperfection. He did everything just right. Yet we find him having to go to the garden still to deal with his flesh. He was anointed. God, God had said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything at that point. And from, then from that point on, then he begins to do miracles and signs and wonders. He addresses the Pharisees. Uh, he drives them out of the temple without sinning. You know, uses a whip. Um, he, he confronts the Pharisees. He does all that without any sin. Yet when it comes to this point, and he knows he's facing Golgotha, he knows he's facing the cross, he spends time in prayer to deal with his will and his flesh. Because as God, he knew what was required Yet as a man, he had to surrender his will to the Father's will. And it's, well, let me, let me read it before we get too far. Matthew 26, verse 36 through 39. This is the, the New King James. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Golgotha, or excuse me, Gethsemane, and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now it's interesting when he was talking to his disciples, he said, guys, help me watch. Watch with me. Yet he says he went over and prayed. He didn't go looking for something, but he, he was in prayer. And he was, he, he was wrestling with that deal of, I know what's coming. I think a lot of time people use um, uh, God, whatever you want, or not my will, what yours be done. And it's really a question for them because they don't know what God wanted. When Jesus said this, he knew exactly what God wanted. He was going to have to die. So he wasn't asking God, what is your will? He was saying, God, I know what your will is, and I want to do it. 
Give me that strength to surrender my will to yours. And so he had to wrestle with that. In fact, to the point of where he had great drops of blood, you know, stress-wise. And he's deeply sorrowful and having to, to wrestle with that flesh. Even though he was anointed, even though he was God's son, even though he was perfect, that flesh didn't want to die. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've had time when my flesh did not want to surrender. It wanted to win. And my wife can testify to that. <laughs> We've had those issues that we have to wrestle. And later on, I'm like, you know what? You're right. I just didn't want to lose. I didn't want to admit defeat. <laughs> and so I let my flesh get away. Jesus disciplined himself because he knew what was coming. He saw what was coming and he knew he needed to surrender his will. In my mind, his will was surrendered in Gethsemane. His flesh was surrendered on the cross. But he had to surrender his will first. And sometimes I think I get myself into a situation where my flesh does not want to be on the cross because I haven't been in the garden. I went straight from the upper room to the cross and I didn't take the time to go to the garden and say, God, it's not what I want. It's what you want for me. And that's tough. Um, having kids, I think I know what they need. And God has given me a wife, maybe to see a different perspective of that. And I think, this is what my kids ought to do. This is what they need to do. This will be good for them. And then I realize, you know, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I need to hear some other perspective on that because I have not surrendered what I want for them versus what they need, what God wants for them. And so that spiritual reconnaissance puts us back in that place of we're beginning to see what God is seeing. We're getting that spiritual perception, not just a carnal outlook. And that, that's dangerous when we just go with that carnal outlook and just go with our reason. <clears throat> I put it this way. Prayer is spiritual watching or spiritual watchfulness. Jesus didn't go around looking for something. He said, stay here and watch with me. Jesus was not looking for Judas. He knew when he would come. Jesus was preparing himself for the day he was about to face. <clears throat> Let's look at verses um, 40 and 41 in Matthew 26. <clears throat> the New King James says in verse 40, Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? I can watch a TV show for an hour easy. But me spending time in prayer for an hour is a little more because my flesh is not getting anything out of it. It's my spirit. And so I have to discipline my flesh so that my spirit is renewed and, and, um, and fed. <clears throat> he said, you could not watch with me one hour. Verse 41, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus, I mean, if he's having, if he's having to wrestle with his flesh, we're going to wrestle with our flesh. Even as anointed as we are, even as God's children, this flesh is not renewed. The flesh won't be renewed until we're changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Our spirit was renewed when we were born again instantly. We're in the process of renewing our mind, Romans 12. That's our job. And then at some point, our flesh will be renewed. But until then, we still struggle with that flesh. Paul said, I got to keep my flesh under the thing I want to do, I don't do. So even Paul wrestled with that desire of the flesh. 
And it's one of those things we have to constantly stay on top of. We can do it through the Spirit. But if we don't spend that time in the garden, then our flesh is not going to want to get on the cross. <laughs> it doesn't want to die. Um, I think it's interesting that Jesus warned Peter about the denial that he was going to do. What do we find Peter doing in the garden? Right? He was sawing logs. And part of that is he didn't strengthen that spirit to be able to resist that temptation. And I think it's interesting, and I hadn't seen this until I started looking at this for tonight. Peter, on one hand, as soon as Jesus is arrested, pulls out his sword and starts swinging. He went to one extreme. Jesus had to bring him back. And then he follows Jesus to the high priest's house, and the maid comes up and says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Oh, no way. <laughs> Not me. He went to the other extreme. One extreme he was trying to chop off people's head, and the other extreme he was so ashamed or so embarrassed he wouldn't even acknowledge Jesus. And I do that too. I find myself, my emotions go one way, my emotions go the other way. It's unless I've spent time in that garden, time in prayer to strengthen my spirit to keep those emotions in check. Because until we have disciplined our mind, renewed our mind in the Word, it's going to be all over the place. And I can tell you, when I've spent time with the Lord, I'm a better husband. When I've spent time with the Lord, I'm a better father. My kids know <laughs> when dad needs to spend time with God. <laughs> dad, you need to go pray. Um, but anyway, the, the point being is that we, Peter went to, from one extreme to the other because he slept through the garden. He didn't spend that time. And, and I'll admit, there are times when my alarm goes off, and I know I should get crack the scripture and spend some time in prayer. I'm like, but the bed feels so good. I just need to, to cater to my flesh just a little bit longer and then I'll get spiritual. And then the alarm goes off and you're, oh my gosh, I'm 30 minutes late and you have to rush through it. Um, but we need to discipline that flesh so that our spirit can be fed. Um, what situation is about to take place? Jesus was bearing the sin of the world and he was in a battle with his flesh. One of the most important aspects of battle preparation is the intelligence aspect. Satellite imaging, radio intercepts. Uh, we used to do U-2 flights over China and Russia. Why? Because we wanted to know what the enemy was doing. We wanted to find out where the enemy was and what he was doing. Uh, code breaking plans and inf informants with reliable information. Knowing what the enemy has and where he's going is vital. Armor, artillery, communications, anti-aircraft batteries, bunkers, all this stuff. We're in a war. The enemy is out there. And we don't need to take him for granted. Obviously, we are more than conquerors through Christ. But it has to be through Christ. It can't be, well, you know what, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to win. Our will is not equal to the match. We have to have that spiritual aspect flowing through us. We have to have that Spirit of God moving and flowing through us. And that is spending time with Him. Soak Him up. Have you ever walked by somebody and you, you smelled a familiar smell. We have a, a restaurant that a friend runs, and it's a, it's, a, it's a Spanish food restaurant. And whenever you go in and you eat there, you walk out smelling like the restaurant, okay? And you smell yummy, okay? Um, a little greasy, but you smell yummy. When we spend time with Christ, that fragrance is on us. That anointing is on us. And when we step out, 
We carry him with us. It's just we need to recharge those batteries. Let that inner uh, well flow with that uh, living water. And so a spiritual war is going on, and the devil doesn't want us to spend time with Jesus. He doesn't want us in that garden. Um, he wants to distract us from that. Um, in Luke 21, verses 34 through 36, uh, just a little sidetrack here from, from Matthew. <clears throat> Luke 21, 34 says, But take heed to yourself. I like that because are you listening to what you're saying? You ever said that to kids? Are you listening to what you're saying? Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. Now, I don't do a lot of carousing. I don't do drunkenness. But one of the things I do have to be careful about is the cares of this life. Am I so worried about paying the bills and I'm not spending time with Jesus? Am I so worried about my reputation and I'm not spending time with Jesus? Am I so worried? Is that time clock so important that I'm neglecting my Savior? Because it's vital. I'm a better employee when I spend time with God. I'm a better teacher when I spend time with God. Because when I don't, then guess what my kids get? Just me. And that ain't fun. <laughs> they, they need God. They need the spirit that's in me to come out of me, not my flesh, not my emotions. They need that spirit to come out. And that's important. So we need to be careful that those cares of life weigh us down. And he goes on to say, and that day come on you unexpectedly. He said, don't let your hearts get weighed down and don't be surprised by the day. For it will come on a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things which will come on, that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. That's our goal. That's where we want to be in the end, standing before Him. And when we spend time with Him, He will warn us. The Spirit says He wants to show us things that are coming. When, when, when somebody has a vision or direction from God on something, there have been times when I felt like God wanted me to do something like, but that doesn't make any sense. I, I remember, and this is kind of a, I don't know, maybe a, a carnal illustration, but there was a piece of property that was mixed to us and it was for sale. And for whatever reason, we actually had the money to buy it. And I thought, you know, just something on the inside of me just said, you know, that would be a good investment. Because I've been asking God, you know, what, how do we use these, these resources? How do we do it? And I thought, you know what, that'd be good. And I just didn't do anything. And I just kept putting it off and putting it off. Well, my dad ended up buying the property. And I mean, it wasn't a month later that a farmer came and he said, I want to buy that and I'll pay whatever you want. I'm thinking... Oh, I missed an opportunity. And my dad is a generous guy, and he gave, the, gave it to the farmer for the price he paid. And so, you know, maybe it was greed on my part, but I was thinking, you know, I didn't, not that I was wanting to make a killing on it, but I just thought, was that an opportunity that I missed because I didn't listen to the Spirit? And so sometimes I think there are other opportunities. Maybe there's something that comes in our heart for our spouse, Maybe our spouse needs something, and we're like, ah, that's no big deal. But the Spirit of God is putting that on our heart because they need that that day. They, they've had a bad day or something's going on, and they don't want to tell us. They don't want to weigh us down with that. But we can be a blessing if we'll listen to the Spirit. And it can be for any other. There have been times when I've just made a comment in passing to somebody, and they get all teary-eyed. I'm like, 
You know what I say? And they said, you don't know what that meant when you said that. You're the only person that has said anything to me about that. And sometimes I think if we would just spend time with Jesus, because he loves his kids and he wants his kids to help his kids. One of our, our desires is for our kids to get along. <laughs> you know, don't argue and fight all the time. And when we see one do something for somebody else, oh, it blesses our heart. How much more does God want his kids to help each other? And if we just listen, the Spirit will say, hey, this person needs some encouragement. This person needs some support. And they may look like they got it all together. But maybe they're just holding it all together. And they need somebody to come along and just put their hands on their, you know, and just something small. So don't neglect those things when the Spirit uh, lays it on your heart. <clears throat> Watch there for and pray. Okay. All right. Luke 21, 36. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Spiritual reconnaissance for big decisions. How long do we pray about something before we do it? Now, I think sometimes God can give you instantaneous information. He can direct you instantly. This is where you need to go. There's other times that we need to wait on the Lord. You know something about David that always impressed me was every time he went into battle, he asked God, should we go out to battle? Well, I would think, you're the king. Your job is to protect the country. Of course you go out to battle against the enemy. But he would always go to God and say, God, what are we supposed to do here? He didn't take it for granted. And then there'd be one time and God said, okay, do this, and they were successful. And then the same enemy would come back and say, well, do it again, it worked. Right? Do it till it quits working. He would say, look, they're coming again, God. How do you want me to do this? And God would give him different instructions this time. And sometimes I think, well, God's given me instruction on this, so I don't have to ask this time. I can just go ahead and go. We need to check with God. Spend that time in the garden saying, okay, God, what is it you want for us to do this time? Don't take it for granted. One of my, <clears throat> one of my pet peeves as a teacher is for kids just to get up and do something. I just, I mean, and they'll just get up and wander around the class. I'm like, you guys stay in your seats. Ask for permission to leave. It's not that I don't want you moving, but you guys are a distraction, and there's a time and a place to do things. We have a signal for a bathroom in my room. If you hold up your hand like this, it means you got to go. You're holding it, <laughs> okay? And there are times when I'm like, it's no big deal, go. But there's times I'm in the middle of instruction, and it's not the time to go. So don't assume that you can just get up and go to the bathroom. You wait for that because there's something I want you to get before you go. And I think sometimes we assume on God. I know what he wants. I, I, God, I got you. You don't have to tell me. I'm just going to go. <clears throat> and I think if we'll take that time to spend that time in the garden, God will give us those specifics that we need if we just wait on him. Because I find myself, when I make decisions, I go the long way. I can be in Lubbock and I want to go somewhere. And inevitably, I will choose the long way there. And it is so frustrating. My wife's in there like, mm, I can tell you to go short way, but uh. I'm like, why didn't you say something? <laughs> well, now we're going all the way around the loop, and we just got to cut across the street. Um, but anyway, I think a lot of times God wants us to just wait on him, get instruction from him. Um, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> this is a good example of... Um, Jesus praying. Obviously, he's the perfect example, and um, so we want to look to him. Uh, and in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, 
And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. Okay, so Jesus is praying. We know he does. And he continued all night in prayer to God. What was it that Jesus was watching for or looking for? Notice what he did right after this. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Jesus himself spent all night in prayer to make sure he got the right twelve guys. He spent all night, Jesus, the Son of God, spent all night in prayer, and then he picked his twelve disciples. Now, there were others that followed, but he spent all night for those 12 guys to know, make sure you got the right one. Um, my wife and I, when we were dating, she expressed that God had told her that we were going to get married. And my response was probably not the most optimistic. Um, I said, well, he didn't tell me anything. And what I meant by that was, I cannot commit to you until I know that you're the one God has for me. And at that point, we broke up. <laughs> so it didn't look real good. Um, but about nine months later, I was sitting in a class, a Bible school class, and it's called Marriage and Family. And I, it was one of those days where I said, God, who am I supposed to marry? What, what kind of woman do I need? And I'm glad I used the word need because he dropped her in my heart. I'm like, are you sure? I mean, I know you told her, but are you telling me? And it was just one of those things where it's just, I know that I knew. It just, it just, and I can't say that that, that particular experience has happened on anything else, but it's one of those things that I needed to know because, and she probably didn't know what she was going to go through, and I didn't know what she would have to go through, but God did, and he gave me the right woman not the one I wanted necessarily, but the one, because I was dating, actually interested in another girl at the time she was interested in me. That's, that's a whole other deal. But the fact is that I got the one I needed, and I'm so grateful. There's so many things I didn't even know to ask for in a wife that God knew that I needed. And by spending time with him, and it was nine months. We didn't talk for nine months after that. She didn't want to talk to me, and I was like, you know what? That's good. Well, we're gonna. There's other fish in the sea. God's got. You know. And so God, after nine months, reminded me. You know. And so, hopefully, it was a testimony to her that she did hear right, even though I was a little slow coming around. Um, God did work that, and at this time, it wasn't one of those deals where I'm settling for her. Now it's that's the one I want. God said, "You're the one I need," so I want you. It wasn't one of those deals where like, oh, I guess, you know, nobody else is interested right now. No, it was, it was focused. And that's what we need in our decisions. We need to know that this is what God wants us to do. And I've used this uh, illustration before with my kids. If, if I see one of my kids doing something and I go to correct them and stop them, I say, wait a minute, what, why are you doing that? If they say, Mom said then guess what? <laughs> okay, if mom given you permission, then okay. But if they don't have her permission, then guess what? I get to step in and stop it. It's the same way. If we can say, God has given me direction on this, then guess what? We have the Father's permission. And he's the boss. 
And when he says something, that has given us the authority to then go and do. See, when Jesus gave his church authority, he said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Then what did he say? Go and witness. Guess what? The devil can't stop us. Why? Because we have the boss's authority. The boss has said to go, devil, you can say what you want, but I have authority. Okay? It's like me as a teacher. When the principal tells a student to do something, I'm like, okay. You know, technically, I have authority over the student in my class. But if they have permission from the principal for something, then guess what? That authority overrides mine. When we have the Father's authority and we step out in that authority, hell itself can't stop us because we have the authority of the Father. And it may come at us and it may throw things at us, but we have that authority because we've spent time with Him and we know that this authority is from God and we have that commission. We're, we're, we're on a mission. We've been commissioned to go and do. So he spent all night in prayer and selected his 12. Um, <clears throat> John chapter 16. Uh, I like this because the Holy Spirit carries on where Jesus leaves off. Uh, in John chapter 16, verse 12, it says, I still have many things to say to you. <laughs> Don't you wish you could say more? <laughs> Get it all in. The bell rang today on my eighth period class, and I was like... You still need to know some stuff. You have a quiz tomorrow. Jesus didn't have to do that. He said, I have still have many things to tell you, but I cannot bear, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but he, whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He'll tell you things to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit's not out to brag on himself. The Holy Spirit is here to brag on Jesus. That's our point. We're here to glorify him. For he will take what is of mine and declare it to you. These things that I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit's going to download them. Your bandwidth, it's not big enough yet. Okay? But the Holy Spirit will get it to you, even if you're dial-up. Right? He's going to get it to you as slow as it may take. He'll get it to you. And so he'll glorify him, um, Jesus. All right, uh, Mark 13. Where we're getting close. I'm, I'll open it up for, for a few things to share <clears throat> here in just a second. Uh, Mark 13, verse 32 says this. But of that day and hour knows no one, not even the angels in heaven, nor, and listen to this, nor the Son. At this point, Jesus didn't know because he's operating as a man anointed by God. So he operates on the word of wisdom and knowledge just like we would because he's our example. Okay? Even though he was divine in nature and had all knowledge, he set that aside and became a man. So at this point, he doesn't know, but only the Father. Verse 33, take heed, watch, and pray. You ever pray driving down the road? Do you keep your eyes open? I think we need to do that. Oh, you hope, right? <laughs> Don't close them. In fact, I had, what was it, somebody, was it one of our kids that said they didn't realize I kept my eyes open while we were, because we would pray as we're leaving on a trip or whatever. The kids didn't know I didn't close my eyes. How's dad doing that? Well, I watch while I pray. Okay, so he says, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the, when the time is. 
It is like a man going into far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants, each to his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening and at midday, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. Colossians 4.2 says this, continue in prayer and watch in the same. When you go into prayer, and I don't know, you know, everybody prays a little differently and that's okay. I try to, I, I, I share my heart with the Lord and I, I pour my, my concerns and my, my questions out before Him. And then I try to just listen. I try to say, God, okay, what's coming? What do I need to prepare for? I want to be at the right place in the right time. Guide me today, Holy Spirit. Let, get me to that right place. I give you permission to lead me. I, I want to know what, what's coming. I want to see what's coming so I can be prepared. You know, there's nothing worse on the football field than getting hit when you didn't know it was there. Okay, when I was a, a, a freshman, of course, the upperclassmen always liked to, you know, get the freshmen, you know, the gullible ones. We were running a kickoff deal, and of course, we were the scrub team. And so the, the varsity was working on their kickoff return. And so we kicked it down there. Nobody was good enough on, on the JV to kick it very far. So the coach would kick it, and we would all run down and cover. Well, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get behind their line because, you know, everybody knew which way the ball was coming. So I'm going to get and go in, you know, and try to make the tackle on the senior, you know. <laughs> and so I kind of worked my way through, and I mean, I'm running. And I see that guy, and he's coming across. And about the time I got about 10 feet from him, Somebody caught me right underneath the shoulder pads, and the first thing to hit was the back of my helmet. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I don't like to do that spiritually. I like to be prepared, and if we'll just take the time to spend some time in the garden, we'll see what's coming. We'll, we'll see the Judas that's coming to betray us. We'll see the Peter that is hyped up on emotion. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see the denial coming, and it won't be as, a, as much of a shock to us, and we can say, you know what, Lord? Thank you for preparing me. Thank you for showing me that I needed to be prepared today. Um, this week hasn't been the greatest for me at school. Um, and it's funny because I've been reading and it's been talking about love and patience, and long suffering. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's why you were getting me to read those scriptures because I needed long patience and suffering and to operate in love. You know, and, and so I'm like, okay, I see, I see, Lord. I wish I could say I handled that the best, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. So I just want to encourage you not watch and pray. Spend the time in the garden. Don't take it for granted. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus was just hanging out in the garden until Judas showed up. No, he was surrendering his will so that when the opposition came, he was prepared to go to the cross. He was prepared to die. And like I said, the, the, the garden is where he surrendered his will the cross is where he surrendered his flesh. And so, um, and I thought about this. What, what happens in the garden? Choices are made. In the garden, Adam and Eve had a choice to make. They could, they could do it their own way, or they could heed the word of God. In the garden, they chose to do it their way. Jesus went back to the garden, and he said, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do what the Father wants. And that's where he surrendered his will, was in that garden. And so important things happen in the garden. I think we need a garden. 
The garden is where we deal with our will, and the cross is where we deal with our flesh. And so I just want to encourage you not to take prayer for granted. Um, my grandmother was an awesome prayer warrior. She prayed for every one of her uh, grandkids. In fact, she would make them a blanket, okay? And every grandkid got a blanket, and she said, I prayed every stitch. She said, while I was sewing that blanket, I was praying for you. You know, that may have just been born. She's sewing them a blanket, and she's praying for them every stitch. And then she sent that blanket to them with a scripture and saying, I've prayed for you. Man, that's a powerful testimony. You take that blanket and you think, wow, <laughs> this, this lady has prayed for me. I got grandma's prayers. And those prayers don't get lost. They don't dissipate. They don't evaporate. God saves them. And so don't underestimate the power of your prayer. Don't underestimate that time in prayer because you are mighty. And the devil hates it when you pray. He'll do anything to keep you out of the garden. But take the time to spend some time with him. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.